yet not I, but through Christ in me. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise the Lord. Good morning. It is great to see you here this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 1. We are continuing our series that I have entitled Preparing for the Journey. Now, this is the journey of life, obviously. This is the journey that we are on from the time of our birth until the time that the Lord welcomes us home or until the time that He comes back and establishes His kingdom. And we need to continue to be in this process of preparation. And we have been spending a great deal of time studying prayer, as we will talk about again in just a a few moments. And we have the corporate prayer guide where we are continuing to pray together. And I would ask, I'm grateful for the many of you that have shared with me testimonies of how the Lord has been using that time of prayer in your life to focus and to help establish and create the habit and the discipline of daily prayer. I would encourage you to embrace that wholeheartedly. But in February, we started focusing on the book of Acts, a transitional time. A time when Jesus had been to the cross, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. A time when for 40 days he had been teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And now this morning we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 1 verse 9 with the ascension of Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 9 and we're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. So it's close by, just a a short walk. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. Now, not Judas Iscariot. This is the other Judas, Judas the son of James. And all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, and this was about 120 people. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. Now, that is a great way to talk about scripture. David penned something, but who spoke it? The Holy Spirit spoke it. The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He betrayed him in the garden. For he was numbered among us, wow, and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called, in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it. And, that's a quote from Psalm 69, now a quote from Psalm 109, Let another take his office, 
So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. He must become an apostle, a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, three names, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell upon Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I am grateful for this passage of Scripture. I'm grateful for the challenges and the questions that it raises in our minds. I'm grateful for the example of these godly men in this transitional time. I'm grateful for the way that you moved and worked and even spent this time that's recorded preparing them for what was to come. And I pray, Father, that you'll speak to our hearts today, that you'll correct us, that you will encourage us, that you will strengthen us that you will enable us to be as the apostles were, to be your disciples, to be ambassadors for Christ, to be those who are witnesses to you in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I pray, Father, that you'll be glorified in us totally and completely. Speak to us this morning. We, we, we want to hear from you. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, how much time can we spend in Acts chapter 1? i got to tell you, we could spend, we could do a, a multiple series on just this section, starting in verse 9 and following. But today we're going to cover this whole piece. And what we're going to do is take it in big chunks and, and, and see what the application is for us in our context. The great thing about Scripture is that the truths that we're looking at today are taught throughout Scripture. And you'll see that again and again and again. We'll study a particular passage and someone will be in a personal Bible study or someone's having a daily Bible reading or someone is engaged elsewhere. And the same truths the Holy Spirit brings to light and to apply to our hearts. So we will encounter and go deeper into some of these things um, as we go through studying the Scripture verse by verse. The great thing about Scripture, of course, is that the Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks to our hearts. And so, our context today is that Jesus has risen. He has appeared before the disciples over 40 days, teaching the kingdom of God. He has told the disciples that everything is about to change with the coming of the Holy Spirit. That was last week's message. I would encourage you to, to listen to that, to look at the massive transition that was taking place. The coming of the Holy Spirit is the, the focus of Jesus' teaching he's preparing the disciples for the outpouring of the holy spirit in a new way the holy spirit was not new he's been around and he moved and worked throughout the old testament but now there's a new type of relationship and jesus has already told his disciples go back and wait go and wait in jerusalem verse four he says and while staying with him he ordered them not to depart from jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days now. So he tells them to wait in Jerusalem with the new covenant of his body broken and his blood shed revealed. With the new relationship of the Holy Spirit expounded and beginning to be explained and soon to be experienced. 
with a new understanding of Jesus' second coming to establish his earthly kingdom. Not immediately, but there's a time period between his first coming and his birth and his second coming when he comes to take us home. And he gives them a new mission, an external focus, a mission to be witnesses, a mission to share the gospel. But this waiting was not to be indifferent. It was not to be apathetic. It was not to be list, listless. It was, not, it was not to just be passing time. Back to that section when he had said these things, they were looking on. He, as they were looking on, this is verse 9, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way in which you saw him go into heaven. And so he told them to wait. Now he has ascended and has been taken up in, in a cloud. And they're standing there gazing. And frankly, wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you? He just ascended miraculously before his disciples who love him. He's already told them he's going away to prepare a place. He's already told them that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon them. And there he goes. And they're standing there staring. Now there are two men in robes. And they're at the very least messengers of God. So angels, messengers of God. And they respond to the disciples standing and gazing. And do you hear just a little bit of censure going on there? Hey, hey, hey. Why are you standing here gazing? Do you get that sense in the, in the text? Why are you just standing here gazing? He's given you what to do. He's told you to go and wait. He's told you to anticipate the outcoming, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He's told you that you will be witnesses to Him in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the earth, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And He's told you to tarry in Jerusalem until these things. So, be about what He's told you to be about. And that's the first point. There are times in our lives when God tells us to wait. There are times when there's an event that's coming up. There are times when we are looking forward to something that we already have on the calendar. There's, again, we're in the between time. We're between the first coming and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this period of time, the already He's come, already salvation is provided, but not yet come to establish His kingdom. In this already but not yet period of time, we have a task to do. And so we're waiting for a second coming. They were waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit quickly. And then there were just a few days hence, Jesus had told them. But they're also waiting for him to come establish his kingdom. We have already had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here and you're a believer, you've already been baptized by the Spirit of God. Placed into his Spirit. His Spirit has been placed into you. And so we're beyond the events that they're talking about in that sense. But we are to, whenever God has something on our calendar for us that we're looking forward to, that we are waiting for, we are anticipating... We're not to just be lethargic and passive. We are to wait proactively. Now, we've led many mission trips overseas. And these things are scheduled in advance, sometimes a year in advance. Certainly the best part of a year in advance, several months. And you're waiting for it. it you're waiting to get to the airport. You're waiting to actually begin the ministry with our mission partners overseas. And it is inevitably true that some people come very prepared they have gotten whatever shots they need, the medications that they need. They have the appropriate documents, passports, and visas when necessary. Their bags have been packed for days. They know where their passports and their other documents are, tickets. 
And they even bring the, what I would call essentials, but others call non-essentials, snacks for the plane, books, uh, fully charged devices and things like that. But I have to tell you, there are also, almost inevitably, somebody who just finished packing right before you picked them up. And so they knew it was coming. And they knew that they were going to need clothes and they knew they were going to need their documents. And they thought about it and they went to orientation. But when it came down to it, at the last minute, it was throw everything in the bag. We'll sort it out when we get there. We had a young man who went with us to Puerto Rico several years ago. Love him. Great guy. He had no idea where his travel documents were. It created uh, no end of concern of course he couldn't keep up with them anyway but part of that was a lack of preparation while he was waiting he wasn't doing anything else the disciples were awaiting the promise of the outpouring of the holy spirit a few days hence longer time they were waiting for the lord to return in the same way that he left but the waiting both for the in-between event of his comings and for the consummation of the age was not to be idle don't stand here gazing not to sit but to serve not to sleep but to labor. Just recently, I was in a group of pastors and we were praying and one of them asked, back last, last year, when the uh, COVID-19 pandemic came out and we were told not to go anywhere, you're told to stay home and not to gather and we were not able to gather here. And the leader of the group who was talking to us said, how did you guys spend your time when you couldn't do the things that you normally did? One guy said, well, I use software to study. It's the Logos Bible software, and I'm just barely functional. And so I took extra time in my office to get really proficient at the software. Another guy said, extra time? We had no broadcast ability. We had to scramble. We were working full-time, even more, just to make sure that we could learn how to do church differently in a different context. And then he looked at the next guy over, the third guy in the group, And he said, well, I'm embarrassed to say I caught up on my binge watching. I spent my time catching up on some things I had started but had never done, but not productive at all. And there are many times in life that we wait, whether it be some future event like getting a driver's license or finding a future spouse or to know what career career we're going to take or to get a job. For a church, we are waiting to locate our worship services back on the west in the Greenville. And this time of waiting is to be a time of practice and preparation. And while Paul was waiting, we have an example there. While he had been called, he was prepared. He spent three years in the wilderness of Arabia sitting at the feet of Jesus, according to, according to the book of Galatians and his testimony. And so a call to wait is a call not to wait slothfully, but to wait proactively. Don't wait to study. Don't wait to practice evangelism. Don't wait to be obedient to what God's commanded us to do. But the next thing is... Certainly don't wait to pray, and they didn't. Picking up in verse 12, when they had returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. And all of these, verse 14 is kind of the heart of this, were with one accord and were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And we'll see in just a moment, there were about 120 of them gathered together. We are to be believers who pray passionately. We know that only God can 
change a heart. Only God can regenerate a soul. Only God can convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. Only God can open the eyes of a blind man and make him see the reality of his spiritual condition. Only God can change a person's heart. And we need to, I heard this years ago, you've heard me say it from this pulpit, we need to be talking to to God about people as we are talking to people about God. We need to be talking to God about people as the precursor, as the way to move forward. And over these last few weeks, as you've joined us in this prayer time, we've been praying specifically for the neighborhood that God is leading us to. But that's also, you need to be praying for the people that God's placed in your life, the people that you see every day, the people that you have some sort of relationship or affinity with, the people that God lays on your heart who need to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be people who are devoted in prayer. And I'd love to spend a lot more time here. But we spent about five weeks talking about prayer. So, just pastor to people. How's it going? I love hearing the testimonies of people's prayer times. I love hearing how, honestly, how people sometimes struggle with prayer. A person was in my office just a few weeks ago and they said, you said we should pray about 30 minutes. I can't pray 30 minutes. I don't know what to say for 30 minutes. I start to pray and I thank God for who he is and I pray the things that I remember to pray. And then I pray for people and I go down my list and I ask God to pray for this person, this person, this thing, this thing, this thing. And by the time I get to the end of that and I think, oh man, I've spent a lot of time in prayer and I look at the clock and it's been 10 minutes. And here's my great concern, that as the people of God, depending upon the power of God, we don't practice the presence of God. We don't do like Psalm 119 says, where in the passage that Scott read this morning, that that we ask God to incline our hearts to him in the morning. And sometimes we differentiate our prayer time as asking and petition from our time of worship and praise or from our time of sitting at the feet of Jesus and just opening the scriptures and saying, God, here's my daily Bible reading today. Last Friday, I believe it was Psalm 50. What a great psalm, by the way. Certainly, it was Exodus 34. Maybe the greatest revelation of God in all of scripture. And we need to be a people who will open up and we'll see Moses on the mountain saying, God, show me your glory. And we will see God giving him a glimpse of his glory. And as we, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the word that the Holy Spirit has both written and preserved for us, engage in that time of worship and reading, and we open our minds and our heart to God. This is not some sort of mystical thing. This is a relationship with a living God. And you say, God, I want to see your glory, just like Moses did. God, I I want to know this about you. I want to know that you're gracious and compassionate and forgiving. But I also need to know that you are just, and you will not forgive the sins of the wicked that are not paid for. And then as we read and study, and as we commune with God in prayer we draw closer to God we begin to experience the power of God we begin to hear the leading of God we become sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking to us it's so funny 
A lot of times I've had people say, well, God told me this or God told me that or God told me this, and they speak with such conviction. And then I have other people that come to me and say, I have never heard God speak anything to me whatsoever. I mean, I know what the Scripture says, and I know the principles, and I know how to put them into practice. I think I'm, I'm certainly doing the best that I can. But I would like just once and for all for God to just speak to me. And here's the answer to that. God does speak to you because His Word is living and it's active and it's powerful. And as we come to Him in confession and repentance and we enter into His presence and we pray, part of our our deal, folks, is we're too busy and we're too distracted. And we got you got to stay in... Matter of fact, here, I don't know what your schedule's like, but this is important. For those of you who are struggling with the prayer time, go somewhere. It may be for an hour, a day. I don't know. Again, you know, I know we have families and we have people in different levels of different stages of life. Some of you have small kids. It's going to be a challenge. Some of you have teenage kids. This is going to be something you want to do, but you maybe can't do because of responsibilities and and duties. Some of you are at different stages of life. I understand that. But find a place and go and say, all right, God, I'm not leaving until I know in my spirit I've experienced your presence. And I'll just wait. And I'll read. And I'll praise. And I'll pray the scriptures back to you. What you're going to be doing this week is taking specific scriptures and praying them back to God. God, this is what you said. God, this is the truth that you proclaim. God, I affirm and agree. And if there's some place in my mind or heart that does not affirm or agree, point it out to me. And do this. Be this. Act this way. Do this with the people that I know and I love, the people whose names you brought to my mind. Do this with the community that we're heading to. Do this with the communities where we live right now. And we spend time in community. They were together. And they were devoted in prayer. It was not casual prayer. I think... If it's this week, it may not be this week. But I think this week, one of the questions is, when's the last time you really prayed together with somebody else? You heard them pray. They heard you pray. And it's not performance. You understand? I'm not saying performance. I'm just talking about being in each other's presence, praying together. When's the last time that that's been your experience? And I don't mean bless this food to our bodies. I mean really prayer. If you want an example of the kind of prayer life that we are seeking to develop in the lives of our church, just turn over a few chapters to Acts chapter 4. And you will see the kind of united, powerful, spiritual prayer that we want to experience in our lives, in our families, certainly in the life of our church. But the first thing is they, we are to wait proactively. If something's coming, we don't just sit and wait. We are about what God's told us to do. And we do, by the way, the principle there is you do what you know to do until God tells you something different. Amen? You do what you know to do until God tells you something different. But you're also to pray passionately. Now, prayer will often lead to action. We see that Peter stood up in the company among the brothers and that had about 120 people there. And what is the first thing that he does? He quotes Scripture. Brothers, the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. Or he referenced the Scripture. The Scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Judas betrayed. He was wicked. The Holy Spirit had directed David to say something about this in the past. Verse 
17. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. I'm just going to pause right there. And, and we're not going to take the time to go into some of the things that I was planning on teaching this morning, just in the interest of time. But we need to expect that there's going to be challenges, that there's going to be even betrayals, that there are going to be things that are even divinely instituted challenges. And I don't know of anything that's more challenging or more, more anything that will make you fret more or turn you more cynical or make you more uh, negative toward evangelism than having somebody who is your partner head off the other direction. By having someone that you trusted and had confidence in head off in the, in the other direction. Whether it's stumble or falling, whether it's turning their back on, on the ministry that they had before. But can you imagine these guys? Here was Judas. They knew Judas. They'd spent time with Jesus. They had ministered with Judas. He had his part in this ministry. He was counted among us. And he betrayed Christ. Now, he couldn't live with his betrayal. This passage says that he fell down and his uh, guts spilled out in the field. Matthew gives a slightly different perspective on that. Matthew says he went and hung himself. And what happened, of course, this doesn't say he died by the fall. He hung himself, and that's what killed him. And then his body was placed in the potter's field that was bought with his money in his name. But the betrayal, the sense of betrayal, the falling apart, the challenges, the emotion, the tendency to become cynical, oh, it's never going to happen. Oh, we'll see if they make it or not. Oh, and we tend to be cynical, and we're not supposed to be that way. Matter of fact, Peter just stood up and said, hey, here's what God says about this. Let's do what God says about this. Let's replace him. Let's get someone to take his place. And so when we face challenges, we need to, as the disciples did, persist through those challenges without becoming bitter, without becoming fretful. And we're going to spend more time on this, particularly when we start talking about Dr. Luke and his co-minister, Demas. Have you guys ever heard of Demas? D-E-M-A-S. He was one of Paul's co-workers and Luke's co-workers. And when Paul writes to Philemon, he sends greetings from Luke and Demas. When he writes from Coloss- to Colossians, he sends greetings from Luke and Demas, our co-workers, co-laborers in the Lord. But by the time you get to Second Timothy, the last letter that Paul wrote chronologically that we have in Scripture, Demas has departed and left him and preferred the things of this world. And Paul said, there's nobody here with me continuing but Luke. He knew what it was like to face the challenge of someone turning away. And yet they remained faithful. These disciples, they stood up and said, 12 tribes, 12 apostles, 12 apostles who would be seated on the throne. And so they begin this process of persevering, persisting in the face of challenges and doing what they knew to do. And so we need to make it a pattern in our life as a congregation, as families, as individuals. We need to proceed wisely. We need to proceed in obedience wisely. We need to make decisions wisely. We need to seek God's will. These disciples, again, this is an amazing time. And again, I I have a hard time with some of the commentators that give the disciples such a hard time. Here's what I see in this passage of Scripture when I look at the disciples. And Jesus told them to wait and return to Jerusalem. What did they do? 
They waited and they returned to Jerusalem. They were already united in their purpose. They continued together in one accord. They continued together with unity of purpose. They were, they, they were, they were united in their hearts. They were devoted in prayer, passionately seeking the power and the presence of God. They were immersed in God's Word. Immediately, Peter stood up and started quoting the Old Testament or referencing Old Testament Scriptures. They knew what God's Word said about things. In making the decision about who should we get to replace Judas because there are supposed to be 12 apostles, they, uh, they used, uh, what's the word, uh, intelligence sense he needs to be someone what what is he called to be he's called to be witnesses along with us and so we need someone who's been there the whole journey we need someone who's been following along with christ probably one of the 72 that was sent out in luke chapter 10 someone who saw jesus do this someone who heard remember the commission as you go therefore make disciples of all nations teaching them to observe what uh, baptizing them in the, name, in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit. What's the next part of that? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo I'm with you always even to the end of the age. If that's the commission, they need somebody who's been there. Who's heard all that he's commanded. And so they established appropriate and right qualifications. And then they cast lots. Is that how you call staff? No, it's not. What is this deal about casting lots? Casting lots is a whole category of decision-making that's dependent, at least at some extent, on chance. In the Old Testament, though, it was divinely sanctioned. In the Old Covenant, and by the way, the Holy Spirit has not yet been poured out. They are functioning in the Old Covenant. And so in the Old Covenant, this was an activity that had been sanctioned in the Old Testament. The high priest had the, the, the shirt over which he had the breastplate with the 12 gems representing the 12 dri- tribes. And then there was a, a bag in which he kept the umen and thummin. Are you guys familiar with that? Umen and, thum- and thummin? Have you ever heard those phrases before? It was basically a process of casting lots. And here's what you need to know about that. Nobody knows exactly what that looked like. Jewish scholars still don't know exactly what that looked like in those days. But in Proverbs it says, we cast the lots, but God makes the decisions. They had confidence in the sovereignty of God to work through that way. It was certainly sanctioned at that time. Our equivalent probably would be circumstances. Godly, divinely ordained circumstances that we seek and try to see very clearly God's hand in moving and working here's the deal you got you've got some decisions to make this week you have decisions to make every day you'll have decisions to make that are big and decisions that are to make that are small you have decisions about your calendar about your finances you're going to have a lot of choices to make and 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 Let's just talk for a minute. The basis for your decision ought to be glorifying God with your life. Being obedient to all that He has commanded. Depending upon His guidance in His Word and His Holy Spirit and His power to enable you to do it. When we get to Acts chapter 2, we're going to see a good bit more of this. 
But we, as individuals, we as families, we as a church, need to consistently exercise wisdom. How did these guys do it? They were obedient to the truth that had been revealed. They waited proactively. There was unity of purpose, not only in their mission, but also in their prayers. And they prayed passionately. They were devoted to opening the Scriptures again. It is written, it is written, the Holy Spirit spoke through David and said, Peter says in this passage of Scripture, and they were committed to being obedient to the patterns and the principles and the propositional commands of Scripture. And they were attentive to the divinely ordained circumstances, which means, by the way, the divinely ordained circumstances are not always good ones. God knew in the Old Testament that Judas was going to betray Christ. And so they faced challenges without becoming cynics, without fretting, without giving up. They remained steadfast, immovable, constantly abounding in the work of God. And they made decisions based upon the Holy Spirit in their life. Now, the Holy Spirit's presence and the commands that they had. Now, we get the presence of the Holy Spirit more fully. That begins in Acts chapter 2, and we will look more about that. But here's our goal, here's our plan, and here's what we're, we're to, to focus on. All of this is so that God may be glorified in us. There's somebody in your community. There's somebody in your network of friends. There's someone in our community over on the West End. There are people around us every day who need to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can become frustrated and we can become cynical and we can become fretful. Or we can become lazy or we can become distracted. And yet our call is to proceed wisely, preparing so that we don't miss an opportunity that God has for us, just like the disciples, a calling for them, a commission for them, an empowerment for them, and what he demanded of them was obedience along the way. And that's what, and the end of that is, is God's glorified. The end of that is the room is shaken when they pray. The end of that is people becoming saved, regenerated, born again by the Holy Spirit of God. The end of that is the gospel spreading, not only through their community and not only through their city, but to Antioch and around the world. And that's what we desire. That God be glorified in us. Amen? Amen. Good. Well, let's bow for a word of prayer. Matter of fact, let's spend some time in prayer at this point. Father, thank you for this glimpse into what was taking place in the life of the apostles that we have recorded by the Holy Spirit through the pen of Luke in Acts chapter 1. Thank you for the example that they give and the, the truths that we see that are commanded elsewhere that are on display here they were they were obedient they were placed in a time of waiting but in their time of waiting they weren't listless and they weren't lazy and they weren't distracted and they didn't run off and do something else at this point in their life at this point they stayed true to the task and true to the person even though christ had ascended and the holy spirit had not come out yet they stayed true and faithful and i pray that that will be characteristic of us Father, they prayed passionately. And I pray that you will teach us to pray. I pray that we will follow the example of people that you have used throughout history to impact the world with the truth of God. I pray that we will 
be used in that same way that just the people gathered here will be used by your Holy Spirit to be faithful to the proclamation of your word. That we will see you move and work in us as we praise you and as we stay close to you through repentance and as we intercede on behalf of others. Father, also as we yield to you and all that you would have us to do. And sometimes yielding is hard because sometimes there are divinely appointed setbacks. Sometimes there are challenges that we face. And it gets hard along the journey sometimes. It gets hard to, to not only begin well, but to finish well. And there are so many things that we begin that we never finish. And I pray that in this aspect, this will be something that we look back generations later and are a testament and a testimony to your moving and your working, at least partly through the fact of our perseverance and continual dependence upon you. Father, we do not know what, holds, what the future holds. Father, we know you hold the future. And so we place our faith and our trust in you. Help us to persevere with optimism. Help us to persevere with compassion. And help us to continue with passion for the task that you have given to us. Father, we want to be your people who bring glory to you in every aspect of this. And we want to be wise in the choices that we make. So, Father, this example of their moving serves at least to inform us of their heart and their passion, their desire to please you. And I pray that you will duplicate that heart and passion and desire in our, in our hearts as well. Father, we love you and we trust you. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and pray. And it may be one of these things that you're struggling with. It may be that you're just twiddling your thumbs. You're just passing time. You don't know what the next thing is. And you need to wait proactively and say, God, I haven't been active. And I want to be active doing what you called me to do. It may be that you've not been praying passionately. It may be that you face some challenges and setbacks and you've not gotten over that. And it's knocked you off the rails. And you want to come back and say, Father, establish me back so that I can proceed wisely as your child. You engage God in however he's spoken to you. Let's stand.